mindfulness mode. Go for a walk and become mindful of your breathing. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Mindful Tribe, do you have some habits that you wish you could let go of? Do you have a few things in life that you wish you could grab a hold of and make them into habits? Well, today I'm talking to the man who is the expert on habits and routines and making them work for us instead of work against us. His new book has just come out. It's called Winning Habits and Routines. So I'm so excited to talk to the actual author of this book right here. I'm here with Mass Fries right here. Mass, tell us, are you in mindfulness mode today? Thank you, Bruce. Actually, I am. I had uh, just before getting on, uh, take some time just to breathe and just like get grounded and get ready for a really good conversation. So I would definitely say I am. And thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Great to have a chance to talk to you. And so, well, let's start with this. Uh, What does mindfulness mean to you? For me, mindful means uh, to be present. And I think that's something that uh, happens too rarely in our busy, hectic life. Everyone is uh, is so busy. So for me, mindful is actually stopping up breathing, just actually feeling my body and not only being in my head, but actually getting into my body. Mindfulness for me is also is meditating. It's uh, that state of half asleep, half awake, uh, where you're just like connecting at a different level and your brain is kind of solving problems for you without you really thinking about it but uh, but that's also mindfulness for me and then it's like becoming aware of your fingers the things around you that you might be out walking instead of looking down at your phone you you look around and and you suddenly see the beautiful architecture and you see like wow this is actually the world that i'm in and like you're in this physical world so and not the metaverse that the uh, zuckerberg came out with but the uh, the real world yeah exactly and your real world is Denmark. You live in Denmark. Tell me what's so spectacular about Denmark. I have not been there, but I know that it is a spectacular place. Tell me about that. So I think one of the big things about Denmark is our trust. So we have high trust in each other. We have, uh, we're super lucky that we have a really good welfare system. So we've been blessed through generations with oil and a few good companies. We're a small country, like 5.7 million. Um, So We don't have as many people that are really, really poor. We don't have as many people that are super, super, super rich either. But most people have a really good living standard. We have a security net. So if you lose your job, we have uh, the welfare system so that you actually can get free education where you do pay a high tax. Like we pay 25% VAT and we pay up to 60% tax of whatever we earn if you earn a lot of money. And uh, there's tax on everything. But we have this society where... Everyone has a chance to live a good life. I see. That's very interesting. So, so, well, I'd like to just expand a little bit more on that part that you said, we have this trust. Does that mean that you never worry about anybody um, like breaking into your home or anything like that? You just don't have to even lock your doors. Is that the kind of thing or does it go even further than that? So I would say when I was a kid, we never locked our door. We didn't even lock our car. But that was 20, 25 years ago. Uh, some years, when I got a bit older, suddenly we started locking our car and there was coming more crime. But back in the days, 
even the cars would be standing down in the street uh, unlocked, right? Today you lock your car, otherwise it's gone <laughs> or something yeah. happens. Yeah. But the crime rate is uh, is fairly low in Denmark, and and that's quite amazing. There's also just like, do you how many contracts do you need, or do you trust that you can speak to someone? We do use a lot of contracts in Denmark, but we don't always specify them as much, and a lot of people are doing business without like a lot of contracts before, simply because the trust is high. So we know the transaction costs are much lower in Denmark because of that high trust. And you were telling me before I hit record that uh, another good thing about where you live is that you can uh, enjoy the cold water. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the mindfulness aspect of experiencing cold water swimming. Yes. Well, I'm extremely blessed that I live very close to the water, so like 100 meters i can jump into the cold water uh, it's one of the things that makes me extremely happy is water uh, talking about mindfulness there is something about water that just grounds me uh, it feels magical uh, forest is also amazing but there's something even more spectacular about water when i get to water i become mindful um, something strange happens and the cold water especially um, for any of the listeners that have tried it uh, the first time is horrible you're like <laughs> And you're it like, takes your breath away, doesn't yes. it? Yes. <laughs> but but then you really learn, or hopefully at one point you learn, otherwise you stop doing the cold water swimming because it's too unpleasant. But then yeah. you actually learn this mindfulness of breathing slowly. So actually you take a deep breath in, and then when you immerse yourself, you kind of, you exhale. Mm. And then just being mindful and being in your body or in your thoughts is really what allows you to stay longer in the water and and be there where it can actually be a good experience. And so I take it this is one of your winning habits. Is that right? It is indeed. Um, we also have a lot of research coming out of the benefit of cold water swimming. So I interviewed a woman, Susanna, who has a PhD in cold water and brown fat that looked into some of these benefits actually of exposing ourselves to cold water. So it's, it's quite amazing. There's both the mental part of learning to be mindful of your own body and feeling into your body and also putting yourself into something that's uncomfortable. So like getting those small wins to see that you can overcome things that are difficult. And then there are like the more biological processes of uh, brown fat and autophagy and other like low inflammation and other like processes in the body that are quite good. Well, that's very interesting. And, and aren't there studies or maybe they're not, I'm not sure, that indicate that cold water immersion can help uh, fend against depression? I, th uh, I think there is. I haven't read those studies, but I heard about it, that it helps with depression. Um, I think the strongest studies currently, as at least I understood, was autophagy, brown fat, and, uh, and lower inflammation. There's also something with the blood system where we can see. But many people find that calm also from depression of suddenly being able to see that they can overcome things. There's also all of the chemical releases or hormone releases, like once you get into the, the cold water, kind of like the heavy hormones that gets released. So of course that has an impact on depression as well. So you attended a Wim Hof event, you, you told me. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I'm fascinated. That must have been so interesting. Yeah, so Wim Hof, if, if the listeners are not aware of who he is, he's this crazy Dutchman who is just like superhuman, many people would say, who just like was one of the pioneers of cold water immersion. He's been swimming like under ice. He's been climbing mountains in his shorts and so on. 
And he's really a person to look look into. Um, they also did studies on him where they tried to inject him with the, a virus that he just fought off with his breathing. And then people were like, okay, is this possible or not? Like these researchers were interested. So they did a study later as well with other participants. And they could also find out a virus with breathing and mental um, mindset and so on. Like pretty crazy to think about, especially in these days, like what we can do with other things. But uh, but his event was quite magical. I went to London to uh, to see if we should potentially bring him to Denmark. We haven't done that yet, but, but see the event. So I was there as a volunteer and it was crazy to see how this breathing exercises, how people were reacting. So it wasn't like the normal three sets that he, uh, he do. This was like longer sets because it was this event and mm -hmm. people were like shaking or like getting releases of stuff for you. Like, are they on drugs or like what's going on here? The way yeah. that people were reacting, but there's also this hyperventilation and, uh, and, and changes in the blood and so on. But that was, it was a crazy experience to see and walk around and see people, how they reacted and how people reacted differently. And then afterwards having to go in the cold water, which by then I hadn't really done. So that was at that point, it sounded absolutely crazy to put yourself into freezing water. Like, and it was such a mental thing to overcome. We had to do it in the end. And by then we had seen a lot of um, old people, people that were not that strong and so on that had been sitting in the water for those two minutes, right? So when we had to sit down, me and uh, my buddy, Martin Kramer, uh, we of course like, okay, if they can do it, we can do it as well, right? And both of us have extremely low body fat. Uh, but uh, we were sitting there, what uh, we didn't, no one told us the time. So we ended up sitting there for like three to four minutes and you're only supposed to be there two minutes. But the other volunteers were just kind of laughing at us, not uh, telling us that we could have gotten up, but we were just trying to play it cool. Uh, but um, it was a tough, tough first experience. That sounds so fascinating. How long was the event? The event, I think, was six hours. Oh, it was a one-day event? Yeah, it's a one-day event. Okay, so a lot six of hours. lectures into breathing, what it does, why it's important for you, then the classical Wim Hof breathing, and then the, the cold water. It was, it was quite amazing to be part of. And was that last year? No, that was, I think, 2018. Okay, yeah. so that was a while ago. It was before so everything closed down. And how has that changed your life since then? Yeah, I think it got me more aware of the cold water. That's really what got me into the cold water. Before that, I wasn't a big fan. And also becoming that aware of what breath can do. I think one of the things I really like about breath is that you feel it straight away. Some like meditation, you might not feel the big difference straight away, but like becoming aware of your breath for a minute and doing box breathing or something else, it instantly changes something, right? It's easier to feel it if you are non-experienced meditator, right? So, uh, so for me, it got me on the track of cold water swimming and and also doing this breath work. I did Wim Hof for some months. I didn't find that was the thing that gave me the most. Going back to like winning habits, which are the ones that make the most sense for you and give you the most joy and you feel the biggest difference for. Uh, but um, it's an amazing habit to have. Hey, Mindful Tribe, as I talk with my guest about winning habits, I want to cut in for a second with a word from our sponsor, Stand Up Now Hypnosis. Our clients come with different challenges from weight problems to habits they desperately want to let go of to relationship issues. 
Many times my clients have reached their goals faster than expected as a result of the work we've done together with the coaching and hypnosis. Here's one of my clients. My name is Danielle Janens. I've struggled with my inner bully, low self-esteem, and lack of self-worth for years. Bruce has made all the difference in my life, and I know he can for you as well. You know what? Hypnosis could potentially help you too. Let's get on a free call to talk about the possibility. It could change your life, and I have room for a new client in my schedule. Let's jump on a free Zoom call. It's something that can really benefit you. Send me an email at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com with consultation in the subject line. I look forward to talking to you soon. Now, back to the show. Well, let's talk about Winning Habits and Routines, your book. Well, what made you decide that you wanted to write this book, Winning Habits and Routines? That's a good question. So it kind of came back from, I was taking a class at Harvard on very long title, Psychology of Emotional, Behavioral, Motivational, Self-Regulation. So the longest title you could get sounded very, uh, very fancy. But we yeah. had an amazing professor there. He, was, he had written over 300 articles. He knew all of the rock stars within psychology. He understood the studies in and out, the weaknesses, um, the strength about them, how you couldn't like um, generalize different things and so on. So I got amazed by, by being with this professor that just knew this topic so, so, so well. So that was kind of the, the bigger start on going into habits and really getting the research perspective on it and not just these urban legends about this and this works with habits. So over eight years, I studied more and more about it and became more interested in it because habits are really what changes our life. Like habits are amazing because they give you good results. If you want to read something, getting the right habits is key. But what I think is even more important is habits define who you see yourself as. So what identity you have very much emerges out of your habits, which means it is even more important for us to be aware of our habits because when we wake up and look ourselves in the mirror, that is very much also a reflection of our habits. So the people that used to do sports when they were young, they would see themselves as an athlete. And several years after, they might still see themselves as an athlete. But then eventually enough time had gone by and they no longer had the habits and they would kind of realize, okay, I'm no longer an athlete. So it really is, what do we do on a daily basis? It creates our reality and our understanding of ourselves. Right. So for you personally, besides, you know, the Wim Hof, what other habits have been impactful in your life? For me, meditation has done, uh, has done a big difference. It took me several years to learn how to meditate. Uh, I read Tim Ferriss' book. I think that was kind of like, okay, I need to get started. And like 80% of these world top performers had some kind of mindfulness or meditation practice. And I was like, okay, I need to get started. And I tried again and again, and I ended up learning some more habit tricks to actually uh, get it running. And now I don't want to miss a meditation because it just gives that calm and that grounding. So that's one of my, my key habits. Sleep is also something I, I really prioritize. And some people might say like, but is that really a habit? We all sleep, but yeah, getting to bed at a proper time and getting eight hours of sleep. I've always known that sleep is important for me and I feel the difference uh, very strongly. I'm just a different person. I'm a happy camper. When I get proper sleep, proper sleep, movement, some ex and some meditation on top, like people ask me what kind of pills I'm taking. 
Well, that's great. That's great. So, so let's talk more about the meditation. How long do you meditate each day and what form does that meditation take? Yeah, it actually varies. So I do a minimum of three to five minutes and often I do 10 to 15 minutes. I use the app Inside Timer. Mm-hmm. So there I can choose different ones. So it kind of depends on the mood I'm in. I have some selected as like my favorites that I often go into. So depending on how much time I have. I like guided meditations. I especially like body scan meditation. Um, that's easier for me because then I can focus on my body and feel into that. Um, I also love chanting meditations. I haven't done that many, but there's something about that vibration in the chest and so on that feels fantastic to do. So, uh, so it's a mix of them. Sometimes I also do it just with some uh, some sound and no, uh, yeah, no voice over and just sit and relax and try and let my thoughts pass by. That um, ever growing challenge of not thinking about something but just letting them like pass by like like a, a stranger walking past or someone you know and then getting back to uh, to just breathing and relaxing. Oh, very interesting. So what is the biggest challenge you had with meditation? It was that I didn't feel much benefit from it. So mm-hmm. I read first that the best kind of medication, meditation was loving kindness meditation. So mm-hmm. as you might have noticed by now, I really like studies. I find it extremely interesting to see like what's the most efficient thing to do that works the best. So I had, did, I had done some research and found that loving kindness meditation was supposed to be the most effective form of medication. I knew that they probably only tested two or three up against each other, but that was enough for me to actually say like, okay, this is a good starting point for me, right? But that was 15 minutes and sitting there for 15 minutes, I'm really good at napping. So I knew I could nap in 15 minutes time, I can fall asleep and wake up again and feel fantastic. So I felt like I had a better way of using that time, which is also a form of rest, uh, which meditation is as well. So I would just kind of be frustrated, like this is not worth my time. I'm just sitting here and I'm, I could be napping instead. So I tried, I tried, and I was like kind of hitting myself in the head for like, how can it be that hard? Like, seriously, sitting down 15 minutes? Like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not dumb at least. I might not be the smartest person, but like... And I have like somewhat self-control, like how can it be so hard to sit down for 15 minutes? But I was like, I'd rather just nap for 15 minutes, right? Um, I ended up changing it down to just three minutes, which is one of the things in my book as well as like, what's the smallest winning step you can take? So what's the smallest form of the habit you can get started on? B.J. Fogg, who wrote a great book on habits as well, he calls it Tiny Habit. James Clear, who also wrote a book called it The Atomic Habit. So. Most people that study habits agree that you need to find the smallest part and then you start with that. And for me, there was three minutes. I could sit down every single day for three minutes in the morning as the first thing, or I could do it in the evening. I also told myself, like, if I don't have three minutes, I don't have a life. Mm-hmm. If I can't find three minutes, I don't have a life. And a theme goes for all of the listeners. If you can't find three minutes a day to just sit and breathe and be mindful, you have a serious problem. Yes, that's for sure. Three minutes is not very long. No. (laughs) And then it quickly builds because then you have, I had the habits of just sitting down. Okay, three minutes. Okay, that kind of, three minutes is nothing. I should at least do five minutes, right? It seems silly. And then suddenly like a habit of five minutes and it's like, okay, five minutes. Might as well at least do 10, right? And then just slowly build. And then some days I do less and sometimes I do more. Right. Very interesting. Now you mentioned movement. What kind of movement do you have in your life? Yeah, I try to do, I have 
kind of true criteria uh, for movement, how to, is, is it fun? And can I do it socially? So I used to be playing sports at a high level and still wanted to like do some kind of sports that I thought that I could push on and get better. But I realized I have limited hours in the day. So the most important thing is, not the most important, but an important thing as well is to see my friends. And I couldn't get all of my friends just to do what I wanted. So uh, I started changing into, okay, what can I gather friends around? And then we do movement together. Whether it's running together um, on Tuesdays, actually today I play football in the morning over the winter, an indoor football team where I wrote out to 50 different uh, friends and acquaintances to ask if they were up for playing indoor football together. So now we meet and play indoor football. I do uh, Thai boxing. I love to do Thai boxing. Um, mm. Weirdly enough, Thai boxing gives so much joy as well. Then I do surfing, kite surfing, and then I try and do some uh, yoga as well to get more flexibility. So those are kind of my main movement forms. Okay, good for you. You're doing quite a bit then. And so with yoga particularly, what benefit do you find that yoga does? You mentioned about the stretching. Anything yeah. else? I love yin yoga. So yin yoga is the slow form of yoga. For me, that's a form of meditation as well. It's the slow breathing is it just relaxing it for me i get very heartfelt which is a word that became very important for me a few years ago when i suddenly discovered this word and and learned about that feeling of being more in in your heart and ying yoga really gets me to that stage of being totally calm i'm normally like high energy love to jump around just like the sports as well but uh, ying yoga calms me down and my girlfriend would also say that i'm I'm almost a different person when I do it. So it's more, you can say, more of a meditative practice as well for me. So it's called Ying Yoga. Y-I-N-G, is that right? Y-I-N and then yoga. Okay, Y-I-N. Yeah. It's yeah. the slow ones where you're doing one pose for like three to five minutes, lying into that, and then another pose after that. I got it recommended by an osteopath because he was like, Miss, you're stiff as wood. We need to do something and not bamboo wood, like the stiff wood that doesn't bend. And uh, a normal yoga is not going to make you as flexible as the long stretches. So you need to do those long stretches. I had never heard about it before. And the first class I went to, it was me and 10 women, 55, 65 plus. So there's not as many young men doing it, but it's absolutely fantastic. How did you feel being the only guy and all the women were older women? Yeah, I felt um, that I probably showed up the wrong place, but I was like, okay, <laughs> I trust this osteopath. Yeah. Uh, she's really smart, so I'm going to test it out, but I definitely felt a bit... They also looked at me and they're like, what, what's this young bloke doing here? Like, did he walk in like <laughs> by a mistake and so on? But they were very kind. They were very open and smiling and so on. It was, I really think... The yoga places I've been, people are extremely friendly and exclusive. Great. Yeah. I've actually had that experience too, being the only guy in a class and yeah. you know, older women. And, and I thought, well, I'm, I'm here for a reason. I'm just going to do the thing. And, uh, and I did. But I, you know, I just wondered what your mindset was with that as well. Yeah. That's, well, back to your book. Uh, Mass, I want to ask you, I know the book is just published in November. What kind of feedback have you had from this book, Winning Habits and Routines? Yeah, so I had a lot of people read it before it came out. And the feedback that I got was that it's very concrete, that it's nice, that it's not full of fluff, 
which was also, uh, that made me really happy because that was kind of the point. So it's called Winning Habits and Routine. And then the subtitle is A No Bullshit Guide to Mastering Great Habits and Getting Rid of Bad Ones. So I tried to write it as short as possible. So it's just like the theory and example and exercises. I've done a ton of workshops on habits. So I've basically tried to take like, how do I transform someone in a workshop and how do I make that into a book? So the feedback has been very much like concrete, good tools, um, actually works. Of course, they need to uh, have a longer period of time to really say whether it worked that well. So it's going to be fun to follow up someone like a year after. But I know some of the tools that are being used uh, have been researched where you follow up two years after and you see it actually made a difference doing these kind of, uh, what do you call it, um, concepts, uh, tests and tools, um, exercises. Exercises was the right word. Yeah, well, you've got a pretty awesome book here. What would you say is the difference between this book? What makes this book really stand out compared to some of the other books out there on habit? Yeah, I would say the main difference is that it's so short and it's much more to the point. So I actually had a Danish publisher that was considering translating to Danish. And her feedback was, this is an amazing book. These tools are so great. We just need it to be much longer. So she made... 60 places in the book where she was like here you can put more stories on here you can put more examples on so you could get up to like 300 pages instead of like 120 pages uh, but the point of this book was to make it super short to the point so that's one of the main differences something else is uh, that i put, take in mental contrasting and implementation intentions these academic words at least i haven't found them that clear in uh, in other books on habits which basically mental contrasting is that you imagine what will you get out of this goal or this habit? If you succeed with this, what will it actually give you? You do that first. A good idea is closing your eyes, getting an emotional attachment to it. What that does, it is increases your motivation to actually succeed with it. And it makes it clear for you why you're doing it. And then the second part is you imagine what are the most likely challenges that you're going to face once you want to try and do this habit. So let's say meditation. That could be an example. And then the implementation intentions is, okay, when will you do this habit? When, where, and how? And then you, you spell out as well um, the three most likely challenges that will like come and how you're going to overcome them. So you identified first, what will you get from doing this and what will the challenges be? And then afterwards, you also identify how will you overcome it. So again, going back to a concrete example, but I think Thai boxing might be better. I, I used to live 500 meters away from a gym that kind of felt like Rocky style, right? I would get down there and like, you wouldn't see that this was a gym. Like the first time I came down there, I was like, where is this? There's this weird door, but this cannot be a gym. You open the door and you just get smashed by the smell of this like really fighting gym, right? And you would get in there, you would get some punches, but uh, it was such a nice atmosphere, right? I loved going there. But what would often happen, weirdly enough, it wasn't hard for me to figure out what I would get out of it, was that I would get home and just to drop my, uh, my computer off and then to change my clothes to go there. And I had this magical couch and I heard that I'm not the only one that has this magical couch. Apparently it's been sold in different countries. And this magical couch has a pretty spectacular ability. What happens is when you have something important that you have to go to, like exercise especially, you sit down on the couch and there's like a magnet and it just, it won't release your body till two minutes too late to go to the gym or the exercise. 
<laughs> it's just it happened every time of course it wasn't my fault it was just this magical couch right oh, and i heard other people have the same problem i'm not sure other if people if you, do yeah i have one of those yeah yes. <laughs> they're fantastic right so well i don't know if they're fantastic but they're very they've got a lot of a lot of power yeah they just kept keep you there so i basically identified with this exercise like okay what i get out of uh, Thai boxing i get so much joy i feel better i have more energy all of that stuff what are the most likely challenges well actually i'll get home i'll put my stuff i will somehow get close to the magical cows and i'll get sucked in and then it's going to be two minutes too late because you wouldn't be late for that place that was not a place where you come two minutes late you were there before time right so that was one of the most likely challenges and i was like okay how can i overcome that well it's kind of a hassle to bring my gym clothes to work. But if I do that and go there directly, it seems quite silly because it's 500 meters. But if I did that, I would go every single time. Mm -hmm. Super simple. And it sounds awesome. almost too good, like too simple, right? But yeah. identify some of them you can change before. Another thing is if you go out to eat and you like, then you make the decision because you can't, you can either choose a restaurant without dessert or you can say to yourself before, when I go there, I will have the challenge that I will get the off of the dessert. So then you say like, okay, I will ask for tea instead. And these mental contrasting implementation tensions have been studied um, extensively. So one example was they tried to get women to eat healthier. So more uh, fruit and vegetables. Mm -hmm. One was a control group that learned about why it would be much better to eat healthier and why that would be so good for you, which, we, which is what we often do, right? We tell people, this is so good for you, you need to do it. The other group did mental contrasting implementation intentions, and they followed up two years after. The control group was eating around 7%, 7 or 8% more, which is also good because they learned about how important it was, so it had an impact. But the other group ate 28% more. Interesting. Vegetables and fruits. That's If you know anything about changing people's diet, that's really impressive. That was just by doing this exercise. And I always give the warrant and people hear that's like, okay, I just do this exercise, then I lean back. Like you still need to make an effort, right? But, uh, but we know this both from exercise and many other situations where we tested the stuff that it, it's actually quite powerful just writing that stuff down. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you've got some really practical methods in your book to help people. Now, I know you have degrees from the uh, University of Copenhagen Business School as well as Harvard. Tell us about some of the, the topics that you've studied there as part of earning your degrees. So one of the best courses at Harvard was the psychology course where we, where we went into like, what are some of the things that are tested? We went into, so I'm a bit of a nerd. Uh, I love to do sports, but I'm also extremely nerdy. I love learning like new things and getting deeper into stuff. So we also looked into the studies of, do you have limited willpower? So we often say like, be careful, you have limited willpower. So you don't want to have too many choices or too many things during the day. And Baumeister, a famous researcher, did several papers on this. So we read, we read those papers in the class, but we also read some other papers that actually showed the opposite. It showed that if you believed you had limited willpower, you would have limited willpower. If you were told that you did not have limited willpower, you would not have limited willpower. Basically, these are in research settings, right? So, but this was just to take that it's a bit more complex than when we just hear a study coming out and we need to be very careful about what we believe because what we believe become into reality. 
And, and that understanding has been so fascinating. There was also several of my classes at Copenhagen Business School was in psychology, where we learned about like how we construct reality for ourselves, how we construct reality through our language, which is so powerful. Like we have a dialogue every single day with ourselves, and the words we use can either build ourselves up or tear ourselves down. Absolutely. Mass, if you were to write another book, what would that other book be on? on? What would the topic be? So there's three more books that I would like to write. Anyway, one is a smoothie book that I'm going to be writing with a good friend who is an expert on like all the small nutrition and what it means for your health. Um, but that's kind of like more of like a hobby side thing. I want to write a book about biohacking and how to optimize your health. So how, what can you actually do with technology and nature? So we talk about Nordic biohacking, which is how do you optimize your health, your performance and your well-being through the use of nature and technology. So it's not just about, it's not about getting chips in your hand when we talk about Nordic biohacking. It's very much about the things, everything from breathing, from saunas to cold water to grounding with your feet on the, on the bare grass where we have early studies showing that it lowers inflammation. We don't have the super high quality studies on that yet, but we have early studies showing that. So basically a book that makes it super easy and concrete. I like to translate things into something like that's just like, here you go, test something out. So like, how do you read studies? Understanding like some of the mechanisms in studies and like, can you trust it or not? How can you uh, identify if an influencer is providing you some proper knowledge or not? And then what are some fundamentals for health and well-being? that you can do and test out. And part of biohacking is not only studies, we talk about ancestral wisdom and, and Western science, right? So Western science, double-blind studies, are amazing if you can get your hands on that. But there's also all of the ancestral wisdom, which is so beautiful. And we're just catching up with that with Western science. Meditation is the perfect example. 20 years ago, people would like laugh at it. Western science, right? They'd be like, oh, those are cracks. Those are just yes. like... That's right. Absolutely crazy. Like we know for scientific fact that the brain does not change once you become an adult. That's a fact, scientific fact. We know that for sure. And those are such cracks. And how can they say this? Like they should lose their life. Like they should not be allowed to talk and so on. And now we know today that the brain actually changes after we become adults. And we know that meditation can change our brain, right? So the whole understanding and sister wisdom, double blinded studies, but that we just speak about it as what it is. Um, I'm a big fan of a lot of ancestral wisdom. I just think it's important that when we look at testing it ourselves, that we speak about like ancestral wisdom. This has been done for 2,000 years or 1,000 years. We can't prove it with Western science, but test it out and see how it feels. To the like, okay, this has been tested. It might still not work for you, even though it's about double blind study. You need to look at like what's working for you. The n equals one, the sample size of one is you, and that you might might be an outlier. And like, if you're an outlier, you need to do something else. That became a longest pill. It's something I'm quite passionate about, and I think there's so much knowledge to be found in having the right framework for how to test different things. And I think so many people feel lost today because there's so much overwhelming information out there saying opposite things. So like, how do you figure out how to navigate that? I would love to write a book on how do you navigate that, like the handbook of figuring out how can you get the tools to evaluate the things that you need to test. And of course, a few things that you can actually do, but mostly like, how can you get the, the skills so you can navigate this super complex world? 
Very interesting. Yeah, I can't wait for your other books to come out. This is Thank going you. to be great. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I want to ask you a question about bullying because I've worked in the field of bullying prevention for a long time. Do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah, so I think there can be several stories. Um, we talked about it before, the whole like when you're on social media, when you get all of these bad messages, right? Yes, and, yes. And I think it's an increasing problem that's absolutely horrible. And especially if you try to do something or create something, like in the more successful you become, the more haters you get. Uh, people writing nasty stuff and so on, where I think the best thing is really to like breathe, relax, center into like what is your purpose and accept that people writing are people that are, are in a very bad place. I often get more sympathy and think like, okay, someone to write bad things got to be in a really dark place, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But being mindful and just breathing there, I think is ex extremely important. And then you can delete it and not, not spend the time on that. But the human brain, it's not wired for us to be happy. It's wired for us to survive. So we see negative and much more than the positive, right? So we get one negative comment and I know that happens for me as well. And I can have nine positive ones, but it's still that one negative that my brain focuses on, right? And, and that's where mindfulness also comes into like, what's actually important? Like, why, where is that comment coming from? And I even had, I had one course I've been teaching entrepreneurship and how to test things. And I, I taught more than 400 individuals, right? And I can still remember today, one of, uh, I get an average of 4.9 out of five in rating for how useful or good people thought it was, right? But there's still that one comment for someone that misunderstood something that comes straight to my mind, uh, that that person wrote something that was totally like, not what was being said and if I was but it took so much energy right because when someone writes something negative especially when yeah. you think it's unfair yeah for sure yeah your podcast is called Growth Island and I'm interested um, what is a, a a story from your podcast that really was impactful for you what is an experience you've had as a result of, of having that podcast has made a difference I would say um there's many episodes that have really made a difference. One of the things, one of the ones that touched me a lot is also a person that become a dear friend afterwards. It's Thomas Sylvest, actually the guy that I'll be writing the smoothie book with. This guy has been in and out of hospitals. He's been in a wheelchair for 10 years and was told there was nothing he could do, that he was just gonna have to live his life like that. And he shouldn't punish himself by trying to eat different and so on. He started uh, to become a pharmacist because he wanted to learn like how he could use medicine to cure himself, right? There, there had to be a way out. He's just such a fighter and such a positive person. And he's, he found his way out. Like he still has chances, but he can walk. He trains a lot. He now has a kid as well, another kid coming. And he's just such an inspiring, fantastic human being that even though he runs into like all of these challenges, he takes it head on. So it gives perspective when you feel you might have a difficult day and so on to be like, yes, but you can still find the empowering meaning. And there are people like Thomas out there that are inspiring and sharing good information, but also have gone through some really tough things. So that's, that's definitely like something that I often think back to and when I'm in different life situations, I think about what would Thomas do and, and how he's, he's just such a kind person as well when you meet him. He, he, yeah. You should almost have him on the podcast as well. He's, oh, he's a yeah. fantastic soul. 
I would like to have him on the podcast. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Mass, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has been a really powerful mindfulness influence for you? Tony Robbins. Definitely changed my life. And second, Dalai Lama. Okay, and the Dalai Lama. Awesome. And the second question, uh, tell me how mindfulness has affected your emotions or how you deal with your emotions. Yeah, huge impact in regards to becoming aware of my emotions and kind of taking from that other perspective of seeing like, okay, I try to look at myself like from higher up, looking down into myself and be like, what's going on right now? And that gives the ability to actually control the emotions and act in a more in what we say, a fruitful way instead of letting your emotions uh, take over. Yeah, okay, great. Well, we've talked about breathing quite a bit on on this interview, but uh, I always ask a question about breathing, so maybe you could sum it up in 30 seconds. How has breathing uh, affected your mindfulness? Breathing is life-changing. It's the thing that centers me the fastest, and I learned a breathing method from one of the breath masters I had on, which is you're breathing all the way down your diaphragm and your stomach. And then on the breath out, you do a humming sound like that. You try and get it as deep down in your chest as possible and as long as possible. If you do four of them, I promise you, you'll, you'll feel a significant change in your body. Great. Great. And uh, my next question is about a book. And I know your book, Winning Habits and Routines. It sounds like it's just fantastic. I'm looking forward to reading it. You're going to send it to me. So I I look forward to that. Are there any other books that you would recommend to anybody wanting to live a more mindful life? I would recommend Sean Anker, The Happiness Advantage, which is very much about how do you live a good life? And that is also becoming more mindful and it's also being present instead of focusing on the future all the time. It's a fantastic book and it's really fun. I'm a, I love to do fun things and generally just kind of organize my life about things that make me laugh and smile. And his book is a perfect example. That's great. That's great. And you already mentioned an app. Is that the app that you would recommend is Insight Timer? Insight Timer or Nuna.ai. Nuna.ai is a shameless plug. Uh, I've helped create that, which is a chatbot-based app where there's also mindfulness. But I heard that you're also involved in a really, really good app that I have to test out. And and would you repeat the name of that app again? Nuna, N-U-N-I.ai. N-U-N-I.ai. Yeah, okay. that's the website. All right. Okay. Yeah, we'll check out that. And of course, I'll put all of this information in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. So your website is growthisland.com and that's super easy. And like I mentioned, the book is called Winning Habits and Routines and your name is Mass Fritz and it's M-A-D-S with the D being like a silent D, M-A-D-S and Fritz is F-R-I-I-S. So uh, look for that book on Amazon or wherever you buy books. And I'm going to tell you that is going to be a life changer for that, for you to read that book. So if there's anybody listening today that's feeling a little discouraged, they feel like they can't get this feeling of being grounded and centered, what would your final words of advice be to that person? Go for a walk and become mindful of your breathing. And then second thing, 
Try and write down a gratitude journal, three things you're grateful for in the evening or whenever it fits you. That would be my, uh, my two short things. Mass, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on, Bruce. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. You're welcome. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us again today and for subscribing to the show. I have to tell you, I am just wowed by the transformations that so many of my Stand Up Now hypnosis clients have experienced. And I'm going to share just a little bit more of what Danielle said about her experience as a client. My name is Danielle Janens. I've struggled with my inner bully, low self-esteem, and lack of self-worth for years. My relationships with family members have always been difficult, and I've gone long periods of time without speaking with them. Since I've had the honor to work with Bruce Langford on hypnotherapy, my life has changed for the better. I've been able to establish more boundaries in my relationships, which has allowed me to renew a connection I've not had in a long time with my family. I'm able to talk with them without constant confrontations and tensions, and we are now able to communicate on a weekly basis. I've also developed a sense of calmness that has been missing from my life. Now my battle with negative self-talk has eased significantly, and I feel more freedom to do things I enjoy without the constant burden of emotional stress. Hypnotherapy has also helped me to develop more interest in socialization and I am better able to give more time to myself. So once you are ready to do the work, I would really recommend this program to anybody who wants to improve their life and give themselves the gift of having more peace and confidence. Bruce has made all the difference in my life and I know he can for you as well. Like I said earlier, hypnosis could work for you too, potentially. I have room for a new client and would love to talk to you. So let's jump on a free Zoom call. Send me an email at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com with consultation in the subject line. Now, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.